There you go. A Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast Captain's Slug. Its ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes, to seek out new jokes and new references, to split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate 69. Uh, <laughs> uh, these are the continued adventures of this podcast. I'm Eddie, that's Mark. Mark, how you been? How you doing? Good. I was um, deep cleaning my George Foreman. <laughs> and you know what? I I get it. Right? I've done I've done a lot of research into the history of the George Foreman, right? More research than really should have been necessary. And I, yeah, okay, it's an ingenious design or whatever. Oh, there's no fat on your square sausage or your burgers or whatever. But the, it's, it's, it's fucking hard to clean. I don't care what anyone says. It would be funnier if it did have Hulk Hogan's name on it. Which, yeah. <laughs> and it was bright yellow. <laughs> it makes me wonder. Because I think George, George Foreman, obviously, like... I, I mean, he liked all the money, mainly, I can imagine. But I I think he liked the design. But I can, the only thing I can picture is that after George Foreman has a fight, uh, someone else cleans him in the shower. So he just has no <laughs> regard for like how to clean things or how to make things easier to clean. He's got 14 sons or something like that, and they're all called George. And I imagine that after a fight, they'll just come in with a series of squeegees. Like a seri- like an, I imagine they're like Oompa Loompas. They just come in... And it's also very similar to the car wash scene from the movie Shark Tale. Uh, <laughs> Do you think they have a rotor? Because he, he's got some. He, I think it is. I think it's something like eight sons, and they're all called George. Yeah. Do you think that's in order of like that's like a ranking order, where it's like George <laughs> one, like like whoever's at the bottom does the does arse the and the yeah the feet and the and the crack of the arse, and then seven gets the calves. He's got like a wall chart where yeah. he's just moving different. Pictures of different Georges up and down the different ranks. As a that's punishment. Got, that's got to be more of a cluster of the fact than having eight brothers called George. It's got to be the fact that you can't even refer to yourself as George One because that changes. And a sister. There's a, there's a Georgina, I believe. There's that's one of those things where you know they say that if you don't, you know, you're a real like psychologist if you've dreamed of being given a ba- uh, two identical twins and no government oversight, right? <laughs> right, because the, the amount of stuff you could learn, you, you can't really learn anything about anyone truly psychologically because for you to run a control experiment and do real things, you have to do harrowing, horrible, obviously unconscionable things to people. But I imagining naming eight sons George is, Jesus Christ, I want to... Imagine if he named eight sons George and then he had a ninth kid and he went, ah, oh, uh, that's Steve. What a mind <laughs> fuck that would have been to the uh, to all of the Georges. No, he's like, no, no, well, I feel we got George right finally with the last one, so now we'll move on to my second favourite name. <laughs> Do you think it's harder to become a psychologist focusing on twins if your son name is Mengler? <laughs> what if that's your dream? <laughs> Mengler Institute? I'm not sending my kids there. I, I, I look. We live in a proper grown-up world where such things shouldn't matter. But it's it's similar to if I'm choosing who I'm going to let into my flight school, and there's two people hovering one around the cutoff, and one of them's got the surname Bin Laden. Then I'm sorry, you're not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's your name? John Nine Eleven. Oh, <laughs> Bad luck. You don't really hear of people called nine. The nine eleven surnames really died out since nine eleven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that would have become a pretty common name if um, they'd won. You know, uh, like if that had been the first blow in the fall of the Western world, then I imagine 9-11 would be a pre- fairly popular first name. Yeah. Uh, in that horror, f- you never see that in 
in alternate history book works. It's always, oh, what if the Nazis won the war? That's less interesting. What if, what if the Taliban's first strikes against, against the US had led to a successful war by the uh, by Muslim fundamentalists? That I'd, that I'd read. Yeah, what if Japan had treated Hiroshima like they're Dunkirk? <laughs> well, I read about that recently. The only reason they kind of surrendered after that is because they'd captured a US airman and they were torturing him to tell him about the nukes and he didn't know anything because of course he didn't it was a highly classified program so he just told them yeah we've got a (laughs) hundred and they were like okay fine we'll 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 surrender so well done to you sir on realizing the best thing to do in that situation was tell an incredibly extravagant lie (laughs) yeah and the u.s kind of almost did it for him because it was like well because Truman, I, I, I don't know, is I've been to Harold S. Truman's house. Oh, really? Um, yeah, there's just lots of pictures of Japanese kids everywhere. Um, but uh, <laughs> the he, I, I, I don't know if he's on record because my my um, I've never read any books or anything about him. But my, my my touchstone for his historic person is an episode of the web series. Great Minds with Dan Harmon, <laughs> right? Uh, okay. When he's played by, you know, the guy who plays the sort of press secretary in Veep. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, and Harmon asked him, like, "Why did you? Why did you do it?" Like, and he, and he said, "Well, yeah, they were ready to surrender." And it, essentially, extreme paraphrasing, but essentially, Hiroshima was a warning shot, and Nagasaki was a. We are willing to do this again. Um, <laughs> I was thinking, I haven't seen much of Truman in movies over the years. Like, bear in mind, he's prime in he's a sorry, president of America during the end of World War Two. You think he'd be like a big historical figure that we get a lot of films about? Like, there's a lot, a lot of film versions of Churchill out there. Yeah, but um, I've seen Truman. Tru, have you seen Oppenheimer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that him being played by Gary Oldman for like two minutes might be the most. Like the, my, that's the most, that's the iconic one now for me because I can't think of another time that somebody's played Truman. He seems to be like somebody who doesn't really matter in the scheme of things, even though he committed to possibly the largest war crimes um, well, that's, in Japan. Yeah, that's that's that is the problem is that he's seen as the guy who he's the only person to ever order. An atomic bomb dropped on anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he is demonstrably a bad guy. Like he can justify his actions all he wants, but the fact of the matter is, Japan were essentially ready to surrender. Yeah, um, and and that that just had to put a full stop on the on the whole thing. So it's yeah, it's not as complicated than you might think, but it is slightly more complicated than you might think. What makes it? What does make it more complicated is apparently the the Emperor of Japan didn't want to surrender until they had a decisive military victory under their belts because he thought it would put them in a better position so given that they were getting the shit kicked out of them it's like you can't let them win yeah <laughs> one um so yeah god knows I, I i'm glad i don't have to make that decision i'm glad i wasn't involved or consulted in any way during the manhattan project yeah think of it. <laughs> we went to see um we went to see oppenheimer at, uh, at an imax uh that's in like a sort of shopping mall in Glasgow, right. uh, and when we came out, uh, we we popped into Waterstones because you know I, I like Waterstones. It's it's always a it's always a cool place to be. Um, and uh, I think the guy saw me coming because I went up to him and I said, "Listen, have you got have you got American uh, Prometheus?" And like as soon as before I could even say Prometheus, he just started shaking his head. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, because I just saw an event." Yeah, he says that that's happened every day for the last three weeks. He says, yeah, he says, we have no idea we're getting stock in. Because when Laura walked in, she went, it's a, it's a bit crazy that they don't have a display, but it turns out it's literally because every single man, of uh, like every <laughs> single millennial and Gen X man has walked out of that cinema going, I've got to read that book. Yeah, I, I can't imagine the mindset of the publisher to not go, do you reckon we should... Because like DC Comics were like, oh, they were doing... like whenever, When Batman Begins came, came out, they were like, well, we'll have Batman Year One. Make sure we got enough of them in the comic book shops sorted. Do you, it was weird that the publishers of that book didn't go, oh, well, Christopher Nolan, uh, one of the biggest movies of the year that doesn't involve a Mattel toy. I like Mattel were ready. They were ready to go. They had Barbies <laughs> <Yeah>. on sale. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. <laughs> Did you know that back in uh, back in '89, uh, after Batman, Tim Burton's Batman came out, uh, Grant Morrison had written a, a Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. Oh right. Which if if you if you're listening to this and you and you're maybe not a comic book person, uh, go go and check that one out. It's super accessible. It's about Batman and the Joker and Arkham. It's all things you have heard of. Um, and it's and it's an in, it's an incredible piece of a, of artistic um, art, and uh, they called up Grant Morrison because there's a there's a depiction of the Joker in Arkham Asylum, uh, which is he's wearing the Madonna, the big cone tits <laughs> outfit, and uh, they had creative control over that whole book. Like they were told, like. You can basically do anything. That was the that was the way of the Brit invasion of comics in the mid to late eighties. Uh, the British writers like Neil Gaiman were essentially allowed to do whatever they wanted because it always sold. Because it was always quite weird and subversive and great. Uh, but DC called them and said, "No, you have to change the the Joker tits." Um, and Grant <laughs> asked why. To which DC said, "We don't want. We've been. This has been specifically requested by the higher ups." Uh, they don't want people to think Jack Nicholson is gay. <laughs> I, I would argue, as stupid as it is, I read, read Joker is gay coded. Um, he's obsessed with Batman. He could be obsessed with Batgirl. Uh, but yeah. Like I. So, so if you if you're one of those people out there who goes oh but he loves Harley Quinn you're an idiot who's not understood the source material Joker does not love Harley Quinn he is obsessed with Batman and Harley is a useful tool in that continued fight yeah and like Harley Harley if anything he's probably pan or bi or whatever because um, yeah because there is implications in a lot of media that Harley is essentially just his fuck toy yeah so who knows yeah. But given the option, the question of do you want to do you want to fuck a woman or do you want to needlessly and extremely fuck with Batman, you know which one Joker's picking. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, speaking, speaking of people being needlessly fucked with, oh damn! Ah. <laughs> you got there before me. Uh, I almost segued in it out of into it out of Oppenheimer, and you would have liked that. <laughs> <laughs> do that again. Do that as an ultimate. Okay, uh, right. Um, speaking of uh, the end of World War Two, this uh, episode of uh, <laughs> this episode of Star Trek uh, featured Saul Rubinek, who was born in a displaced persons camp in uh, Poland. Really? Yeah, I did not know that. That's interesting. I, I I I feel that this podcast, if anything, is a celebration of the character actor. We call them the that bloke actors, and there is no greater that bloke actor than Sol Rubinek, and I was looking into him because I, literally until this episode, until I looked him up, I, I never even bothered to check his name, but the guy is in in an insane amount of stuff, but yeah, he was born, uh, so yeah, he's a German-born Canadian actor, and he was born in uh, Forenwald, a displaced, sorry, a displaced persons camp in Allied-occupied Germany in 1948. His parents, Frenia and Israel, uh, were both Yiddish-speaking Polish Jews and had been hidden by Polish farmers for over two years during World wow. War II. Yeah, and then they emigrated to Canada the year he was born. And then he, he's got like a run of like constantly nominated for the Genies, which is the Canadian BAFTAs. Yeah. But yeah, this is like, he's the, if you like a show and that show has run long enough that they, at some point they've gone, you know what this needs? A Jew. Saul Rubinek has turned up in it. Which is bizarre because I was reading about... So originally there was another guy cast as oh, I, can't, really? the char- I can't remember the character's name. Um, uh, it is Kivos Fajo. Fajo, yeah, Fajo. There was another character actor cast as Fajo, but um, he was a British guy. But he uh, he had a lot of mental health problems at the time, and it, and he just sort of wasn't. He recorded some of the scenes, but he wasn't able to do the job. And then unfortunately, he died by suicide like a, a few days after, or a few weeks, I think, after the episode aired, or. or a, or after, or after he got he got replaced, but basically Saul Rubinek, apparently like a lot of actors, was just a massive trekkie, <laughs> and he was friends with either the writer or the director on this episode, and asked, "Can I come and visit the sets?" Because of course, if you had the opportunity, if you had an in, yeah, of course yeah, you're going to. Can I come and see the Enterprise? Like obviously, you're gonna 
you're going to play that card. And eventually, this guy relented because he was like, um, how much do you really want to see those sets? Because <laughs> Sol Rubinek apparently turns down a lot of TV work. Because he is, he is like the... he. I mean, you know, not to get fucking stereotypical or anything but he if in the 90s he literally was like dial a Jew like yeah. he yeah. he he shows up in a lot of stuff it's just like he does he he does he sort of getting onto middle-aged Jewish Yiddish dude who's funny I can be serious I think by the time this said he'd already done Unforgiven as yeah. well so like he's got some serious credits of really good stuff like you if you if you you don't know the name Saul Rubinick. If you saw a picture of him, you would recognise him immediately as like, oh, it's it's that guy. Um, he looks but- like the guy who uh, they use to keep Elliot Gould's salary low. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like he's like Elliot Gould's a non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> Senior Gildo. <laughs> but he was like, he just like, he came along to like visit, and they were like, do you, I, can't, "I can't imagine that the conversation was like, how much do you want to see the sets?" I was like, "Why? Because oh, like, I know you don't do a lot of TV, but if you, but we need something to be in this episode. But if you, if your person is like, oh, I'm desperate to come visit because I love Star Trek, I can't imagine it was, oh, oh, you've twisted me arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> And we'll pay your day rate, but and you'll get like a special guest starring like situation. Yeah, yeah. He's he's, he's, he's great in this. He's great in this. He's great in everything he's in. To be the, fair, this is a fantastic Trek episode. It's very, it feels very original series. It's very simple idea, well executed. Yeah, yeah. You could see this being an original episode with Spock. Yeah, where you you do it. Oh, you're the only human Vulcan hybrid that exists in the world. Therefore, I, I want you... Because this is the, the idea of this, and it's a weird trope that has appeared... doesn't just appear in this episode of Star Trek. This appeared in a lot of like fantasy from around this point, and it's the collector who wants the main character as part of their collection. Because there's an episode of um, The New Adventures of Superman, or Lois and Clark, as it was called in America, where somebody puts Superman in a booth... Um, and it's like, oh, you've got to stay in my collection. He's like, well, what? I'm Superman. I'm just going to leave. And they were like, well, no, if you cross over through that force field, um, this other pod we've got over here with Lois Lane in it, that'll explode. Yeah. Sort of thing. And it's, it was a weird trope that t- kind of turns up of, oh, you are part of my collection now thing. But it's it's a really good idea for an episode of... Because it's, it's basically he is trying to he wants Data to sit in a chair and do nothing, and so he, and talk to his guests so he can show him off. Yeah, and that's it. Um, and it's how do you how does he motivate him to do that when he can't harm Data because that's what he wants is a pristine condition Data to sit in the. So you end up with like oh he threatens to kill other people and the Data's ethical programming. It's it's brilliantly done. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um, and that's kind of the plot. Yeah, Data wants out. This guy won't let him go. He'll hit him with the old trolley problem. If you leave, I'll kill her. They fake Data's death at the beginning of the episode, uh, so that everybody on the Enterprise thinks he's dead, and Worf gets a promotion because Worf can only get promoted by people dying, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which uh, oh, we should go to uh, what's this? What's the Tasha Yar segment? <laughs> uh, the Yar report. Um, there, there is actually some Tasha Yar in this episode. Yep, but ultimately, <laughs> Yar report still dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they we could like and I'd like to point out like Data, Data dies in this episode, and then more or less within. Like, this episode takes place over the course of maybe a week. Yeah. And I would say comfortably two days. Like, I would say day that he is dead, Geordie and Wesley are sent to clean out his room. Yeah. Which is like, was Picard like, right, Data's dead. Oof. Fuck. Listen, Worf just got himself his second new room in <laughs> in, in a couple of years, man. And he's he's going to make some changes. So we really need you to go in there and repaint the walls. <laughs> 
it's like they didn't stop at a starbase and pick up anybody else to replace the missing crew member like you know it's like you could have left this room for maybe a week <laughs> yeah and also like because i get because riker because we like that that we, we you don't have time for sentimentality on a starship especially when you're on a mission like Data's death is essentially going to be treated the same as anyone's death down in engineering. Like, yeah, we'll be sad and we'll and we'll have a ceremony and, we, and we'll all have a party and we'll all raise a glass. But for right now, we we need to get on with the job. Um, and kudos to this episode for kind of doing that. Like they they find out Data's died, quote unquote. They have a bit of a sad face about it, but then they're still talking to Sol Rubinek and have to be like. Because because he's he's giving them stuff that's really explosive, so that they can go and use it to unpoison a river or something. Yeah, and so they want to, and and then when they get there, it works really well. And Worf, who is now in Data's job, is actually like quite brilliantly on his first day on the job, worried about who he's replacing and everything. He sits there and goes, "Oh, that worked too quickly." And they're like, "What?" And he goes, "Well, if this was a natural." poisoning situation this should have taken like a week to disseminate among the water flow but it's worked almost instantly so let's beam down and have a look at it and then they beam down and have a look at it and find out that it's like poisoned water somebody's done it deliberately like why would somebody do that and then they're like the only reason to do that is to sell us this other thing but we didn't even pay that much for it and then they and then they check Kivas Fargo's like personal file, and they go, "Oh, the well-renowned collector of unique items." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beta Agni Two was an inside job. <laughs> There's a really good joke in it in an episode of Lower Decks uh, when Mariner is is just walking along the corridor, just sort of getting to know. I'll just I'd randomly chat to some of the people that walk by her, and one of the guys that walks by her goes, Wolf 359 was an inside job. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I remember pausing it, because I was watching it with Laura and going, I mean, he's, yeah. he's technically correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mariner's response to that should have just been like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know. We, we know, it was Picard. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what did you think of uh, uh, Kivas Fargo's lovely collection? Um, well, it's like weird, spacey thing you don't understand. There's only one of them. Uh, there's a Dali. Here's a rare, uh, very rare baseball card from Earth. And here's a, a, a Mona Lisa. And also, here's a terrifying puppet that I can only assume was maybe designed for the live for the Jim Henson Ninja Turtles movies. <laughs> As, as like a, an inter between them being baby turtles and being guys in suits because uh, he's got this sort of terrifying turtle looking monster that's the last of its species because this episode I mean people talk about Star Trek being woke now and having an agenda or, or whatever fucking nonsense uh, but this, base, this episode basically said to me uh, don't have pets because it's kind of cruel to the pets I, 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 hmm, to an extent I, to an extent, he does keep his pet in yeah. a glass case in a room that no one can get into or out of. Although I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get why Data can't just stand by the door <laughs> for someone yeah. to come in and then just move out when it. <laughs> yeah, because if I had an android that could do anything, I wouldn't want it if people to come in and be like, "And here he is, just sitting on my couch." <laughs> Ask him any questions. All right, uh, what are you watching? <laughs> What you binge watching lately? Yeah, what have you been into? You read anything good recently? <laughs> have him fucking wander about serving drinks and that. They turn him off as well. Yeah. They zap him and, and like knock him out. Um, so why not have him just off? Uh, and then you can just turn him on. And then instead of him like play because he doesn't play along when they he brings somebody and he like just like freezes up and doesn't do anything and i was like well yeah he's gonna do that because he knows what's going on but if you just didn't turn him back on after you zapped him and just turn him back on then they'd know he's an android because he's immediately going what the hell are you doing to me and then you just zap him unconscious again yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh I, I i quiet like um there is a phrase um that Data uses to describe Kivas Fajo when he describes him as being them. Um, you could use your resources and your intelligence to do something good if you weren't if you weren't dedicated to mere hucksterism. 
It's a great tub. I I am. Um, I really like because they uh so they so they fake Data's death, and then they sort of knock him out, and then he wakes up later in the little room that he's going to be sitting in, uh, in the wax museum, and um. He's in his he's in his uniform and he's sort of giving it. Oh well, I have to get back to the ship. They have to know I'm alive and. Forger's like, no, 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 you're not going back. And he says, well, you're keeping a star, a Starfleet officer under arrest, essentially, against his will. And uh, Sol Rubinette's like, ah, oh, uh, you know, don't worry about it, you're here forever. And Data, I'm I'm quite pleased with how quickly Data's happy to resort to violence. <laughs> <laughs> right, he's, he's, immediately, he's like, well, because he, he tries to open the door and, and, and Sol says, well, if you... If, Ten of you couldn't open that door, so Data's like, "All right, guess I'm shooting my way out of this then." <laughs> yeah, and then he but... tries to rugby tackle him, and he turns out to have like a, a, a force field on. Yeah, and then he he does the whole thing of like, "Oh, I've got these disruptors. They're they're even more painful than phasers set to the evaporate you down to a skeleton." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm going to shoot at this lady here who you've never met before, but your ethical programming won't allow you to let her die so Dave just goes sits in the chair which is fair yeah. um, I, I get that I, you could, like I say you could do this with Spock and be like logically I feel like let her die. we should broach because um, otherwise we're going to be talking around in circles so the, the end of this episode is yeah uh, Data and this uh, woman try to escape but as soon as they try to escape, it sets off an alarm and, and she warns Data about this. And when he arrives with his guards, he shoots her. Data gets the gun, points it at him, and then O'Brien immediately beams him up. But then when we cut to the uh, transporter room, O'Brien says, oh, there's also some energy discharge from the weapon don't worry, like, I'll turn it off before he gets here. He gets there and then O'Brien sort of says to him, or, or Riker says to him, did you fire? And Data says, I don't... I can't, I can't remember. He, he, I think he, he definitively says no. Well, um, Data says, I, I, perhaps it was a problem, a malfunction with the transporter. That's what he says, it's perhaps. Which is... It, it, but it's one of those wonderful things where... That is not a denial, and it is not a confirmation that he pulled the trigger. Yeah, he's just saying this is this is another thing that could have happened, and that is a lying in a very data way. Um, I was or look- was he not? Maybe it was a transporter issue. Who knows? I was looking into this, and apparently, it's sort of similar to the. And I, from what I took from this conversation, sort of similar to the 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 the, the, the dichotomy between Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford about whether Decker was a replicant or not. Um, right. I can't remember which we don't. I think Harrison Ford says he's not because it's stupid. Yeah, Harrison Ford says he's not because yeah, that sounds like Harrison Ford. Yeah, um, <laughs> Ridley Scott says he is because of all the evidence. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the, I think the director and Brent Spiner uh, have differing opinions on on whether Data pulled the trigger and lied about it because he can, he can lie. Yeah, he can. He has. We, he I, has think, done. I think we already know. Yeah, he has done that already. But yeah, the the interesting thing is, it's the point of like the guy basically gives a, a lovely. Selwyn gives this speech where he essentially lays out, "I'm going to continue being evil forever, and you can't do anything about it, other than because the only way you could stop me is by murdering me. I am unarmed, but you're going to go back to your room, or I'm going to go shoot that maybe that guy." Yeah. And the other guy's like, and the other guy does the perfect fifty cent. What do you say? Fuck me for face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and then, but then you so then you get, but so that's where you get the interesting thing of like would data because you could make a wonderfully rational, completely logical argument for murdering this man. And we don't know whether Data's Data's Data has moral programming that tells him what is right and wrong. But Data also has the option to ignore that yeah. should he want to, but he just doesn't want to in general. And I think this is one of those cases where you can go, No, if I don't shoot you right now, yeah. 
If I don't drop this bomb, Arden Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I don't shoot you right now and kill you and end your reign, will you you will continue to do incredible damage. I mean, I in personally, they say he's got starry starry night. And uh, that for me, I fucking kill him because that should be in a museum. <laughs> Just yeah. on doesn't those grounds. That's my favorite Van Gogh. Uh, <laughs> but, but um yeah, it's an interesting one of whether cuz he does he does if he does shoot him, he doesn't shoot him out of any emotional need but then the very end of the episode happens and that's the Kim Fajo is in the brig because the Enterprise has turned up they've saved Data um, and Fargo's in the brig and Data comes to visit him to tell him that um, and he's like oh I'll get out of jail and I'll just go back to my collection it doesn't matter there's ways and things and uh, Data tells him oh, no, 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 you're going to jail. And even if you do escape, we've given your collection, we've taken your collection and given it back, like sent it all back to where it's supposed to be. Yeah. Now, there is... I have some trouble with the end of this episode because I can't work this out yet. Right. I don't think there's any reason for Data to come in and tell Kiva's Fargo that it isn't a direct, I'm fuck you... Which yeah. isn't something Data would do. But, logically, if you know that Kiva Svalio is evil, and you know that he will attempt to escape in the future, and you know the only way to maybe stop him doing that is if his spirit is broken, would Data decide that the logical thing to do is for him to be told this, and it would be the harshest for him to accept that coming from Data? So, like... There's a logic... His reason for doing something that seems emotional is based on the logical rationality of how an emotional being would react to it. Yeah, I... Yeah, because the... Because um, if, if I recall the... I think we've mentioned it on this podcast before, but the... The the thing... The, the, the text, the super text that comes up at the start of Kill Bill, which is... Um, Revenge is a dish best served cold, uh, and in an ancient Klingon proverb. That's that's <laughs> made up like that's that's not true. It sounds cool, um, and it's, it, it, it that does gel with their culture. But data, I, I get because like it is kind of like earth centric that data wants to be human. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like with any any universe where he is different from everyone, why has he just? Uh, gravitated towards the one type of person that he looks not even really the most similar to um, because he looks as different he looks more different from humans than Vulcans do Yeah, so he probably looks as different from a human as he does from a Vulcan but obviously and he'd have a much easier time being a Vulcan yeah Yeah. 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 (laughs) Human is is used a lot in Star Trek as kind of like a stand-in for a word that we don't have. That's the problem. Yeah. Like the the collective humanity of all the like that's thing like when um uh Spock they do Spock's funeral in Wrath of Khan. Um uh uh, Kirk says, Hell of all the souls I've met in all my time travelling the the cosmos, he was the most human. He's like it's that annoying thing of like they're they're off there are concepts in science fiction that sometimes struggle a bit because we haven't encountered the thing that they've encountered yet, so we haven't had to come up with a word for it. Like, like I, I found out that like, like the like somebody at one point had to make up the word paramedic, and until paramedics existed, you wouldn't have known what we were going to call that job. Yeah, like if am- ambulances don't exist, you can't fathom in your head what you'd call the person who rides an ambulance. And it's that thing, like, I don't know what we're going to call, what we now call humanity. I don't know what we're going to call that when we bump into another alien race and they're like, oh, no, we'll do that as well. <laughs> it's, it's why I... I mean, don't get me wrong, if I'm in a taxi or whatever and he's just spouting off his opinions, I tend to just be like, well, I just need to get where I'm going, so I'm just going to sort of... Okay. Um, but I, 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 I do... I. I I do think that language policing, as it were, does does have its place. It is valid. Like we like as much as we try to not admit it to ourselves, language is essentially a sense 
Um, the words that we use transmit ideas, and if you're using words that maybe aren't great, then you're transmitting ideas that, that maybe plant a terrible seed and grow, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the, uh, I mean, the, the, the word that we should be using is peoples, like the peoples of the universe, like they're all people. Yeah. Because people, people, what people means to us when we think about people is just other humans, but that's just because we, we don't have any other peoples on this earth because we fucking massacred them all. <laughs> um, but peoples just mean sentient beings, really. Yeah. Because um, beings isn't enough, because like an amoeba is a being. Um, yeah, it is a thing that is. It, it, uh, it is a thing that be. Yeah, yeah, it is a thing that be. Uh, why, why it be like that though, or, or whatever? Uh, and uh, that's the that's the big question, isn't it? Why it be like that? Um, but people's the, the people's the universe. But I, I think in the particular case of Spock and Kirk, like I, I, I don't, I don't think that's a mistake. I in that in that very. It would have pissed off Spock. It would have pissed off Spock. But I also think that Kirk was doing was doing that deliberately. <laughs> would it would it though? Because in that very specific instance, Spock is half human, half Vulcan, and often had to tackle that. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I, I would say that I also completely throw it out there that Kirk, while writing Spock's eulogy, as as Spock's best friend, definitely threw something in that would have pissed him off. <laughs> 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a great take on that in the Orville, um, and it's and it's something like because uh, there's there's an Orville episode, and it's not it's not even in the serious season. Uh, it's in like season two when they, I think it's the guy that uh, John takes over from dies, and the beginning of the episode is his funeral, and a, a Captain uh, what's his name Ed Cap, Cap, whatever Captain Ed right Seth yeah. Farland says oh, it's, it's always bad to Mercer lose Ed Mercer Ed Mercer Captain Mercer he's like it's always bad to lose a crew member like we're obviously here to celebrate the life of, of, of this guy of, of Steve right whatever blah 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 um, and now uh, to, to deliver the eulogy I invite up uh, his like second in command this guy and this guy comes up and he goes yeah he says uh, Chief Engineer Steve died doing what he loved uh, being involved in an explosion <laughs> And, he, and, and, then he, and then he says something like, uh, and, and if, if you don't think it's funny that I said that, then you didn't really know Steve, like that, that type of situation. So, yeah. 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 Like, I, like I've always said that um, I, I, don't, I don't think any of anyone would be able to go through this, but I've always said if I die young, I want Bill Egan to MC my funeral like he thinks it's my birthday. <laughs> Uh, I've got I've 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 got uh, I've got some close friends who I, I've told if if you die before me I essentially view that as an opportunity to roast you without you answering back. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was Graham Chapman, wasn't it? Uh, when Graham Chapman died and John Cleese done the eulogy and he said Graham Chapman, of course, is what is he famous for being the first person to say shit on television? Yes. Uh, so I wanted to take this opportunity to be the first person to say cunt at a funeral. <laughs> Yeah, that's also where he goes. Uh, many people in this room, are, he starts up by saying, "Many people in this room are probably thinking, what a shame it is that we lost such a great, mighty comedic talent so young and so early in their life." Whereas I'm thinking, "Good riddance to the free riding bust." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and a, a, and a much less problematic example was Addy Addy Edmondson at Rick Mail's funeral when he said we were supposed to do everything together and then he died first the absolute <laughs> bastard <laughs> oh oh i love that rick mail was not in the reason rick mail was cut from um the first harry potter movie because um and the reason the uh, the poltergeist character never appears is basically there isn't a clean take of anything he did or said because Everything he did made everybody else corpse, <laughs> and then we're just like, okay, we've got we've got nothing. <laughs> just got back to edit. It was like every scene, somebody who shouldn't be laughing is pissing themselves. Yeah. <laughs> oh. There was also just in case anyone's watching this, making and is questioning my previous profession. There is also the reason that they couldn't figure out a different look for him to distinguish him from the other ghosts. Oh right. So okay. there was two reasons. Yeah. Okay. But the, but that, the first reason that is 
a big reason that he, he he's not supposed to look different from the other ghosts he the is, yeah. is he? he yeah he's supposed to be a different thing okay it's not explained very well um, <laughs> oh, it's almost like, as if... uh, let me just check my notes. Uh, everything in Harry Potter. Yeah. Uh, it's not explained very well. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was. They couldn't figure out a way for him to look different. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. There's a, uh, 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 yeah. Harry Potter's kind of badly written, guys. <laughs> yeah. I know that we like to say, like, you want to look back on it and go, oh, it, it, look, look. Harry could have just used that magic mirror that he could talk to Sirius through to see where Sirius was and then not have gone off to the fucking uh, uh, Ministry of Magic and had Sirius die. That's a thing that could have been done. But J.K. Rowling forgot that she'd given him that. <laughs> and they wrote the longest Harry Potter book to write herself out of a hole that she'd written herself into. So obviously the public perception of Harry Potter has... And we've talked about this on this podcast about as much as we've talked about fucking Star Trek. Um, but the but it, it's quite nice to see the Harry Potter fans kind of growing up uh, because I'm I'm on the Harry Potter subreddit because uh, yeah. every now and again I'll see something on it. I, I I never use the front page of my Reddit. I just use all because uh, yeah. the front page is just things that I'm like oh, I'll try and remember to go and visit that occasionally. Uh, but every now and again the Harry Potter thing comes up and the, the question the other day was um, how come it's said that two of Ron's brothers got 12 uh, OWLs uh, when Hermione only got 10 in the year that she was given the fucking artifact to make her be able to be in two places at once through time travel um, and then it, the, the, the top comment is just, it's because JK Rowling is bad at maths <laughs> she's bad at maths she's bad at geography uh, she's, she's bad at tolerance uh She's bad at she's bad at remembering details in her own books that wouldn't make her one and only argument out to be a hypocrite. Uh, I, I I uh saw recently a wonderful uh routine by uh Pierre Novelli about um uh, it's about how Filch ended up doing his job and he's basically written it as a as a Harry Potter story. <laughs> at one point he refers to Filch's two school friends as one being um one being smart and one being poor, the two character traits. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Ugh. Oh but yeah um because Pat- Sir Patrick got a bit of Shakespeare in this episode. Oh yes he did. And he yes. full on picked up his like ancient Shakespeare tome. What would you What would you keep? Right here's so in a world where you can basically replicate anything at the touch of a button or get any information. Um, when you see captains' ready rooms, they mm-hmm. generally tend to have a couple of like artifacts and things. Riker's got that fox statue from that <laughs> resort planet or whatever. Uh, the Horgon. Um, uh, uh, Beckett, uh, our Cap- Captain Freeman, Mar- Mariner's mom. She's she's got like a shelf full. Of, there's like references that Mariner makes to to her shelf of stuff. What what would you have? Picard, if Picard's got a really 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 nice Shakespeare collection, Actually, I've got one question about it. Do you think that is an actual antique, or do you think he has gone to the replicator and asked for an antique looking version? Of the worst of Shakespeare. There's no way. It, 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 it would be like me buying a reproduction VHS copy of Ghostbusters. It makes sense, but why would I want that? No, there's, there's no way that a Shakespearean expert whose who's seemingly main interest is archaeology doesn't have a beautiful bound 18th, 16th, 17th, 18th century Shakespeare. A really big fan, speaking, as we mentioned already, of the, the Orville, I'm a really big fan of the fact that Ed Mercer has a Kermit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, uh, he just, yeah, I could, I could totally imagine Ed Mercer kicking off some time after a hard day at the office by watching that classic episode of The Muppets that's got Steve Martin on it. Absolutely, completely makes sense that that's how he spends his day. Um, I uh, would probably, looking around at this room, which I have, um, I, uh, if I was going to do it, for, I probably, probably, if you can have anything... I would probably have um, uh, the D&D books yep. in their original. So, like, there's an original little uh, little brown books they're called. There were like three of them made mm-hmm. by Gary Gygax with like a photocopier. Um, I'd have that uh, if I can have anything. And actually, fuck it, yeah, there is a thing. There is, there is one artifact from human history I'd love to have. Um, 
Have you ever heard of the Sandal of Gygax? No. So, right, Gary Gygax, before he it was a professional inventor of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, he was a, a cobbler. And, um, oh, yeah, he, I've heard this, uh, yeah. Uh, he used to make shoes. And he was... The, the exact moment he realised he was now making enough money from Dungeons and Dragons that he didn't have to be a cobbler anymore, he was halfway through making a pair of sandals. So there is one <laughs> sandal that exists. Uh, it is in a perspex box. It is taken every year to GaryCon, uh, and it is handed on to somebody new to be the holder of the sandal for another wow. year. I think Joe Maggiero has held it for a year at one yep. point. Um, I think... Um, Chris, uh, I think one of the guys from Penny Arcade, I think Chris Perkins has had it. Like various different people in the. Vin uh, Diesel yeah. has probably touched it, but you wouldn't let him take it. <laughs> no, because he's too busy. You don't know he's definitely coming back to GaryCon next yeah. year. <laughs> exactly. Um, what about you? What would you have? Uh, I'd probably. Other than the original VHS of Ghostbusters. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd probably have. Um, I'd, I'd probably. I'd try and find like a screen used trap or something like that <laughs> like something small that I could put on a shelf so that people could be like what's that for and I'd be like well uh, there, there was this story from Earth's history about a bunch of people a bunch of smart people putting their brains together so that they could single handedly defeat God using the power of technology um, and, I, and I, feel, I feel like that's a pretty good fucking artifact to have in here but that's, um, that's one way of describing the plot of Ghostbusters another way is men <laughs> dis- they find conclusive proof that an afterlife exists and use that information to start a small business <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, I'd have that I'd probably I'd, I'd, I'd like I'd have something literary I'd, I'd have like a fusted I think I'd have like a really nice copy like Sherlock I've got I actually have a beautiful copy of the Sherlock Holmes books uh, oh, that I've never even cracked open because I feel like it'll be a spine cracker because uh, yeah. I've got all the books like downloaded on my Kindle and the audio and all that. Stephen Fry reads the Sherlock Holmes books and they're incredible. Uh, uh, they're they're great. I particularly find uh, a little bit of joy is that every now and then a character ejaculates. Yeah, um, and it's just it's just in there and it's like ah! ejaculated Watson. <laughs> yeah, and 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 maybe like a like a fucking just 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 like a really really fancy globe. Or something. <laughs> or, or like, or like one of them little. Because um, I feel like if you're a starship captain from Earth, you should have something in there celebrating Earth's reach towards the sky, right? I'd have a, I'd have a sextant. That's what I'd have. Oh, a sextant's good. Or yeah. you know, you know them things that um, I, I, I can't remember. What, I think they're called. They're, they're models. Of, they're geocentric models, or the uh, oh. so, so, solar centric models, and it's a. It's the thing. It's got the the sun in the middle, and then on little arms, it has all the planets. And if you turn it properly, it it does the proper planetary rotations. There's a there's a massive one of those in the Mitchell Library in Glasgow. Do you ever get a chance to come to? First off, come to Glasgow. Glasgow is amazing, right? I know I know everyone says you're going to get stabbed, but you're unlikely to get stabbed. Um, but uh, we we have some truly wonderful, gorgeous stuff up here. No more likely than London, to be fair. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in the Mitchell Library, they have uh, they have one of these. Uh, the Mitchell Library looks a lot like the if you go to the right parts, uh, looks a lot like the 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 the, the library, the Fifth Street Library on in in New York City, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they have one of those models. I think it doesn't work anymore. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it stopped working during COVID, and then they they essentially couldn't fix it. All right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if they fixed it yet because we went in there during COVID uh, and they told us that they hadn't fixed it. So I'd have one. I'd have a small one of them on a on a shelf just just to be like, yeah, this is when humans sort of looked and and realised what yeah. we could become. Probably That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what would you have? Tell us in the comments. Yeah, yeah. Tell us in the comments <laughs> on the YouTube video of this or wherever you found this. Do you know uh, what, James? <laughs> just uh, text us. I think you've got yeah. my number, James. Set up voice note. Um, so um, I want to say something about this episode though because I wanted to address a criticism I've seen of Strange New Worlds which is um, right, Strange New Worlds has got a weird problem in that significant numbers of the characters have basically got plot armour at this point, like I know Spark's not going to die, I know Nurse Chapel's not going to die um, and some people are saying that that means that there are they, they find it hard to emotionally invest in the episode. But I'm just going to say it's like back when this aired, I knew Brent Spiner wasn't gone. 
right? Yeah. I knew that he the internet didn't exist. He couldn't have been cancelled. Um, there've been no, like there've been no news reports that he'd been arrested. They was the most popular character. They blew up his ship. I didn't for a moment think that he was dead. Um, yeah. So I kind of don't like everybody had plot armor in old TV shows. It was very very rare that somebody would die. Yeah. And if somebody did die, it used to be somebody who'd become a main character for a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, like a Jonas but... Quinn from Stargate. <laughs> so someone who gets essentially the people who are going to die are the people who are brought on as part of contract negotiations for another actor and then yeah. when the other actor finally comes round to it they or, essentially become completely disposable or if if a character's if you can if yeah, you have to boy, dis- if you had to start dis- if you have to describe a character and the fir- the way you have to describe them is you first have to mention their relationship to another character then then that means for example um, when when Giles's girlfriend got killed by Angel, yeah. um, she was there. She was there to die. She was Giles's girlfriend. <laughs> to be fair, Joss Whedon, bend as he shall remain. Um, he does have the genius move of bringing them in for like enough of their own personal arc. For yeah. us to like, they didn't bring her in in one episode and she gets bumped off. She's there for like. I think a season, maybe, or a, or a, the best she, part of a season. She, let's see. So she turns up in the episode where there's a demon in the internet, which I, I season think one. It, it is season one. And then she gets killed by evil angel, and evil angel doesn't turn evil until season two. And yeah, no, it's halfway through season three she gets killed because she's got the she's got the ritual to put his soul back in on a floppy disk. That's the uh, end of season two. Oh, no, that's because he's because he's, he's, he's he comes back at the oh yeah at the end yeah. of the, the tail end of season two, but he's lost his memory. Yeah, or something. yeah. yeah. It's, fucking Buffy's great, fucking fucking <laughs> awesome, isn't it? especially especially seasons two and three. three, three and four. I think are the are the peak, but season two is pretty pretty fucking stellar. Yeah, I, um, the thing with Buffy, as I say, is far, like the first, the final two seasons, maybe in the final three, are not the best Buffy, but it kind of is balanced right. out because they nail the fucking landing of just going, well, how do you get in Buffy? Well, you've got to either kill Buffy or close the hell mouth. Yeah. So which one of those are we going to do? Okay, all of Sunnydale falls into a hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and a bit, uh, also speaking of Strange New Worlds, and this is, and, and kind of... T- this is something we'll get onto in hopefully a couple of weeks if once again real life doesn't get in the way. Um, Patrick Stewart definitely didn't. He he didn't have plot armor. I'm not going to spoil it because Laura hasn't seen Best of Both Worlds. She doesn't know how that first episode ends. But there was the but they made it very public. He doesn't. He hasn't signed on for season four. There was a good chance he wasn't coming back and. Season season two of Stranger Worlds. Maybe it's not as good as Best of Both Worlds, but they've they've certainly done that. This is their attempt at a Best of Both Worlds cliffhanger. And the characters who are on the gone ship are, do not have plot armor. No, and it's very worth noting as well that with the Best of Both Worlds cliffhanger, that we'll, we'll get onto it more at the time. But like Patrick Stewart had a lot of reasons to be dis like had signed a three year contract and had a lot of reasons to be dissatisfied because um all of his like interviews about the show had been the interviews about the show when it was seasons one and two which weren't great and he wasn't happy with and also they were making him wear a costume that was literally causing him constant back pain (laughs) um what else is there in this episode did you like data's little shuttle I don't think was it wasn't a full size show. It was like a little car. <laughs> I like yeah, that. I like that. But do you know what I really liked was the the set of the of the Ground Zero of the fucking radioactive water or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I and I remember writing it down because it's so so start so original series Star Trek. It was always going to the Vasquez Rocks and it was always on the back lot at Paramount where it was like everything looked super plastic, um, and in high definition it looks garbage. Um, yeah. But there seems to be a bit of a usually among fans our our age and slightly older. Uh, there is this idea that like, well, yeah, that Star Trek's campaign shit, but like next gen DS Nine and Voyager, like those are those are top notch, like those are timeless. 
and looking at the set of the radioactive fountain, I'm, I, it's a fun set. Like, it's super cool and it looks really interesting, but it definitely looks like the inside of, like, a, a water ride at Disneyland. And it, look, it looks like it's... Right, okay. If it, if, it, if it took you five days to make the water cave from the Goonies, this is what it looks like on day three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think that there's a... Looking at the subreddits and looking at Facebook comments and stuff, there, there's this expectation among Star Trek fans, as I say, particularly of the Gen X and Millennial persuasion, that, oh, the original stuff is shit, but the second generation stuff, that's the stuff that's going to be completely timeless. And it's like, oh, no, man. This sort of stuff is why the younger generation are going to look at this and think this is kind of dumb. Yeah. But Strange New Worlds, Discovery, to an extent as well, they're making the stuff that the next generation thinks are cool and they're going to be like, well, this is the stuff that's going to age really well and then 40 years of... Yeah. Well, we'll have something new. I mean, to be fair, what's definitely going to age well is the fact that the latest episode of Strange New Worlds took place on the planet of Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and they literally end up hiding in Luke's diner. Yeah, I yeah. visited that back lot. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that true? Yeah. That's the... That's I did not the, know that. that. So you know the little... The pagoda that's in there. That pagoda is the is the it's the uh, Warner Brothers backlot. That is the minute you see that. That is where they are filming. It is small town America, ah. and it is Stars Hollow. Um, right. And also, if you it, also, I just got to recommend it. If ever you get the opportunity, I know that Warner Brothers are kind of dickish about their own history, but they are not right. If you do the tour of the Warner Brothers backlot, one of the rooms you go in is just all of the Batmobiles. Yeah, um, which is worth it. But the last room you go into. And it's a room. The last room you go into is the room where they've got like their Oscars yeah. and things they've won for best film. They're like framed on the wall. And in the middle of the room is Christopher Reeve's Superman cape. And I, I have I I I felt like I got I, I got goosebumps just seeing it in there. It's one of those moments where you're like, oh fuck! It's as close to being in a room with actual Superman <laughs> you'll yeah. ever get. It's insane. There's a there's a really interesting YouTube video. I can't. I don't think it's it, it's kind of in Adam Savage's wheelhouse. I don't think it's him because the, the the best thing about watching Adam Savage videos is like Adam Savage's enthusiasm for everything. But I yeah. I, I remember this being a bit more of a, a kind of objective look. Uh, I th- so I think it might be like a Vox or or something, or maybe a Variety or something along those lines. And they're talking to the someone who works in the curation team for the warehouse that they keep all that stuff in before it goes out to the various exhibitions. And if I recall right, they asked them, like, what's the insurance like on this thing? And the person was like, insurance is pretty complicated because the contents of this warehouse are literally priceless. Yeah. Like, they, it, we, we could not put a price on all of this because no one bought it. We don't know what it's worth. It's worth whatever. It, it, this is a warehouse full, essentially, of your childhood imagination. Like we, how how can we possibly put a value on that? If Superman's cape went up in flames, like if Christopher Reeves' worn cape from those movies went up in flames, and then you went, well, how much money to replace it? You'd have to go, well, unless unless you have a time machine, yeah, and we can go back and like you you can't that they it, they are by definition, and it's weird in a world where everything is. You could paint the Mona Lisa again, but it wouldn't be the Mona Lisa. Yeah, everything's yeah. very disposable nowadays, and it's weird that TV and movies, which is the most disposable shit, is creating these artifacts that are going to be some of the most important shit ever. Like, yeah. like I, I'm saying, right, right now, if I was to say they should hang Superman's cape in the Louvre, you'd think I was fucking stupid. But if that cape lasts another 500 years, yeah, that's <laughs> if they found costumes from original Shakespeare productions, they would be the most important thing at the Shakespeare exhibitions. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah, like if they found stage used scripts by him. Yeah, which had like the notations of the actual like. <laughs> oh, actually, I should tell the actors how to move on the stage in case I'm not here to shout it out. Which, by the way, is the biggest proof that Shakespeare wrote Shakespeare is that there are no stage directions, which means he was there in the room going, "Like Jeff, move." Yeah. Move left. <laughs> um, the 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 building at Sony that is the Ghost Core building, where they make all the Ghostbusters content. 
the right the right did work out of that before Ivan passed away, and then now the current team work out of that, and, and Dan Aykroyd works out of that. And any video that they do is always in front of like their uh, cabinet of sort of antiques. One of the things in there is Ivan Reitman's actual on-set script for the first movie that has all his <sighs> notations in it. Yeah, awesome. I have one of the craziest things like that I've ever seen is um, one of I can't remember what movie studio it is. I, I like any like they've all changed hands and swapped around. But when I went to uh, LA, we were staying for the first week in Culver City. And one of the things on the backlog of uh, backlog of one of the places you can see from there is the, the, is is the rainbow from Wizard of Oz. Oh wow! It's like it's just there arched yeah. over. And then I'm I, well, I was having a look around, and if you go around to the the building on the other side of that, I think it's owned by Sony now. Yeah. But that building is um, the um, it's the basically as a sort of running joke. Because it's uh, a movie studio work there, loads of filmmakers have used it as their go-to uh, HQ for the evil corporation. Yeah. So it's the building Wolfram and Hart uh, from Angel based that, but it's also CCS, the studio from The Running Man. Yeah, uh, and I've got a picture of it, and every time I see it now on the, anything, I just go, eh. <laughs> yeah, that's just a little dig at the producers. <laughs> the uh, the building that is the Power Rangers HQ is is like. The, I think it's Scientology or maybe it's the Mormons. <laughs> it's like their headquarters, and it's also in Star Trek Six. It's it's on. <laughs> um, just before we go, because we're running about over. What, what what did you what did you think of the new Scotty? Um, fucking flawless. Oh, um, I, I cheered when 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 he. When he first came, because he speaks and then he leans out, and my ears immediately pricked up. I went, "Is that a Scottish accent? Who the, who's this?" And then, as soon as he said "Lieutenant Junior Grey Montgomery Scott," I I just screamed, "Yes!" Uh, I I love the basically how he appears when it's like, "Oh, we followed the thing," and uh, oh, there's this weird bit of technology here that's lured us in. And then the field food comes up and it just goes, what are you doing in my gone trap? And I'm like, and then immediately once it starts listing off all of the insane technical things he's done. And then they're like, oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry. I, I should introduce myself, Lieutenant Junior Grade Montgomery Scott. And I, I like that then Pike says Captain Pike and he just like, the whole straighten up thing. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my favourite interaction, though, is between him and Pelia. Yeah, at the end, <laughs> which is like one of my best students who also inherited some of my worst traits. It's like, yeah, because he's because he's a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, he, um, yeah, he, yeah, because then when she turns around and he's holding a bunch of stuff, he sort of he does a a, a sort of exasperated look, like, oh, and that's like that's completely Scotty. That that's <laughs> that's the that is it. Dignity. Apparently, he uh, he beat fifty actors to the role. Oh. he's just some kid from Paisley. Yeah, he's been in two episodes of Limmy's show. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's like just yeah. Um, I'm I'm literally going back to do an acting class at the RSAMD or the Conservatoire as they call it these days. Literally because I saw that episode and I was like, do you know what, man? I've always had that dream. This kid can do it. I'm I'm going to do it. <laughs> this guy yeah. might have contributed to to my happiness. Uh, yeah, it's if I don't know if we're doing. I don't know if the plan is after Strange New Worlds to redo original series, like with all the actors. I don't know if that's. I would argue that in Strange New Worlds, it at some point we should have had every character introduced, and then we should have a jump forward in time. Maybe a character time travels to the future, and then we get to see all of the characters that have been introduced where they wind up if you know what i mean like there should be like oh i jump some like some character jumps forward in time 10 years kirk's captain uhura's there spock's there mccoy's there everybody's where they're supposed to be but i don't i don't want a full series i want that for an episode yeah i want that um, maybe to do it or um someone else someone someone that we don't someone who's a who's a new maybe ortegas or something yeah, maybe we could finally get an Ortegas episode rather than Ortegas' entire character being I Fly the Ship, which at this point, given her musical number was I Fly the Ship, yeah. um, 
I'm pretty certain that we are being trolled by the writers deliberately refusing to give Ortegas any expanded character growth. I mean, why why are we not talking to fucking um, uh, Mess's reaction shot? Um, Mess reaction shot, the, the, the one that sits next to Ortegas, who I think... Who, I, who has a name and I've never learned it because I think she got three lines this season and she's always there. She's 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 the currently the Chekhov. There's but if we're ticking off classic Star Trek episodes, we have Mirror Universe and um, horrible future timeline where everything's gone wrong. Um, still to do, and in either one of those, I want her to be the main character. <laughs> yeah, I think that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. bet they're doing that. I bet they're saving her for something amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah I bet they're they're, 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 she's, they're going to kill she's, she's essentially a red shirt at the moment. Yeah, she's just a red shirt. We've seen a lot. Yeah, that's gonna like yeah. Uh, yeah, that's gonna suck if they do kill her. Yeah, but anyway, anyway, but great. This episode. is this is a great episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it's because it genuinely deals with big concepts, how they relate to our characters. Maybe our characters aren't exactly who you think they are. Maybe they can do. Maybe they can murder a fucker. Yeah. <laughs> Data can come across quite menacing as well. That's just something I wanted to say. Like Data's got a, like quite a good way of being intimidating, which is just cold, emotionless. But there's still some. He, like I say, I don't think he, he can't feel anger, but I think he can think it. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. agree. Well, anyway, bye. The Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.